0: Well, we might not have friends in low places, but uh, I, I got some friends at least. Welcome to the Royals Rundown Podcast presented by Royals Review. If you want to keep updated on all things Kansas City Royals, please go visit RoyalsReview.com. You can also find them on Twitter and on Facebook. I can't wait to hear what uh, what Greg has to say about Garth Brooks using Kauffman Stadium as a, as a promotional platform. I think that'll be very cool. But it is uh we have a very special guest joining us tonight. But as always, it is time to introduce my prestigious co-host, Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, how are we feeling this evening?
1: I'm feeling very prestigious, I guess.
0: Yeah, you, you are. I I want to I just want to clarify something for you. I I forget what the what the term was I used. I used it a, a few weeks ago to describe you. I think it's when I actually started doing show notes and stuff like that. Yeah, and and ever since it said you said it made you feel old. Do you remember what it was? I no. I ever don't. ever since then, I've just been doing a thesaurus search off of the, off of that word <laughs> and swapping it out. Oh. So we we're, uh... we're about halfway through the list. I'm gonna have to think of some other words to describe you.
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> But I'll hey, take it. I mean, I'll take it for sure.
0: Listen, you, you may not have titles like our like our guest, though. He is, a, he is a man of many hats. He is the host of the Locked On Royals podcast, host of 810 Sports' Night Shift, and fellow Royals review contributor, Jack Johnson. Jack, how are you doing
2: on Tuesday evening, huh? Hey, feeling pretty good, other than uh, continuing to cover a team that just can't win too many games but as you guys know as we know in this royals community man you just keep keep plugging away and just trying to find content as best
0: you can oof that is uh that is the truth jack it was uh yeah i'm I'm not feeling too good about this team right now but before we dive into uh too much of the royal stuff please go check out jack on twitter At Johnny J underscore one five. You can find all of his stories and all of his work around Casey on the feed there. You won't regret it. Trust me. So, guys, we uh, we've been making some twists and turns to what we're going to be talking about tonight. Trust me, we are going to be talking about the Royals, though. And we're also going to be talking about the wave of waivers, I guess, is the word for it. Going Mm. around MLB right now. A lot of stuff's happened in the past. Oh, two hours even. But guys, I want to take some time to get to know Jack a little bit better. Break away from the normal template because Jack, you are you are different than most Royals content creators. You're you're around sports twenty four seven. It's your it's your full time job, man. It's a uh, listen. I I couldn't. <laughs> It's hard enough being a podcaster about the Royals. I couldn't imagine being like full time around the Royals. Like that takes a special breed, Jack. Um, listen, I I know it's got to be difficult to just focus on the Royals with how bad they are, but like, what are what are some of the difficulties of being around sports all the time? Because you got a lot of know a lot of stuff and a lot about it.
2: Yeah, I think. The most, the, the difficult thing about it is, is that when you are coming up with content ideas, it's not just about, Hey, this is what I want to talk about. It's okay. My listener is going to find this interesting. And, and I think early on when I got involved in sports and talk radio, like I just to struggle with that a lot. You know, I, I would come up with way too complex you know, segments. And to me, it was interesting. I'm like, this is great to talk about. I've got a lot of knowledge, but you know, when I was approached by, you know, just peers in the industry, it's like, man, just make it broad, just talk about things. And, and I always love getting feedback. I'm one of those people that ever since you know I played sports, I like getting criticism because it, it makes you better, right? Not to be too cliche about it. But I think it helps me a lot because especially for a team like this, you got to be interesting. You got to find content. You got to find things to talk about. And you can't just rinse and repeat the same stuff, right? You can't just say, well, Bobby Wood Jr. is really good. Let's talk about an extension. You got to get a little bit creative. And, you know, I think that's going to be my test this offseason. But I'm looking forward to it, like, in those boring weeks when nothing's happening and nobody's speaking in the media. What do you talk about? And I think where I get some, some experiences in college, you know, I covered Kansas football when they won, like, two games in three years. Like, I've, I've covered some bad teams before. I've covered some pretty unwatchable teams before. So this one, to me, is, like, maybe – Fourth on the list i've i've covered some really bad sports teams in my time yeah i uh, i don't envy you there at
0: at all one bit uh jeremy i'm sorry man i, I cut you off were, were you about to say
1: something i i was not I oh wow think.
0: okay well then i'm just I know it's, that's polite. a first yeah <laughs> <You're just> too, <laughs> the man was too stunned to speak um <laughs> Listen, Jack, I do want to I I don't like settling too much on on one game, especially in, in a baseball season. You know, it's it's different to do that during the NFL season. You can kind of brood and stew over a over a game for a calendar week. You, you don't really have that in, in baseball. You got 20 hours. You move on from one game to the next pretty quickly. But I am I want to get more of your thoughts on this because the Royals played or. Excuse me, the Royals opened their series against the Pittsburgh Pirates last night in Kauffman Stadium and it was sort of yeah, it was much worse than the 5 to 0 score showed, which is not great at all. Um but you you had some thoughts after the game which I very much agreed with talking about like a lack of uh lack of fire with this team right now is is what it seemed like. Like that was, that was very evident in Kaufman, which you would think player would come back, be rejuvenated, being at home and in front of your, uh, your fans and your faithful baseball fans. But I want to
1: 12 of them.
0: Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm not saying it's a lot of them, (laughs) but they're there at least. And there's probably like eight of us watching and none of us are watching legally because I don't want to be spending money on this product, but any (laughs) who's. Um, Jack, I wanna I want to get some more of your thoughts on that. So is that is that gonna be like what makes the last mo- month and change of baseball bearable? Is just to have a team that cares and a team
2: that is exciting to watch? You know, I think I kind of chalk it up at the end of the day that baseball is a long season. It's the the sport with the the most amount of games. There's going to be days you wake up and go to the ballpark and you're just not going to feel it. Like we we've all had those days at work. You wake up and you go, I just don't want to be here today. Right? And if for a team that's 50 games under 500 with you no know, as Jeremy said 12 people in the stands, like I I'm not shocked that from time to time they can show up and just be a little bit flat. I think where I don't agree where I saw people on Twitter saying, well, you know, Mac Matreiro doesn't get into him. He, he doesn't light a fire under him. He's so calm. And I just, you know, I asked that question, made made mo- mainly to me. Sorry that you know, Mike Matheny was the guy that probably had the most tense clubhouse in Kansas City. He got into people. He was a fiery dude. Were we throwing you know ribbons and flowers at Mike Matheny for doing that for a team that was thirty games under five hundred? We weren't. Mac is just a different guy. I, I think one of my favorite stories of the off season was. I think Annie Rogers of lmb.com has done a great job all year. She wrote something along the lines of, you know, she interviewed Nikki Lopez and it was like, well, when we're practicing, we don't even know Mac Rotero's is there until like he says something like he just kind of lurks in the background. He's, you know, evaluating guys. He's looking on. And, you know, I think one thing about Mac Rotero that deserves a little bit of credit is he took this job and I think he knew year one was going to be a train wreck. I think when he interviewed for this and that some guys could have turned that down, they said, I don't want to be the guy who's, front and center of this horrific season. But I'm sure behind closed doors, there was talk of that, that this is for your first chance to manage. It's really tough. Now at the end of the day, he could not be the guy, you know, that's very good chance that he's either really bad or a very good chance. He's really good. Like that's just managers in baseball. Brandon Hyde lost a hundred plus games in his first three years. Now he's probably going to win manager of the year. Like it can take some time to vent depending on the talent. But as for last night, it was frustrating. That's probably the worst game I've watched all year. And that includes 24 Jordan Lyles' starts. It was just boring, man. I I, I struggled to watch that game because Matt Duffy's playing, Matt Beatty's playing, they can't score. Granky's on the bump, who's not going to be there. Taylor Hearn's on the bump. I mean, there was nothing exciting about that game. And I think once it got to, you know, four-nothing or even two nothing just flat you near know, the crowds, not into it. Innings are going quickly, but it's one of those days. I think you wake up, you don't have it. It's not really coming together on the field. And I kind of chalk it up as cliche as it sounds. It's baseball, man. It's a long season. It's a marathon going to have days like that.
1: So talking about managers reminds me that, uh, uh, Saturday night this week, Ned Yost is being inducted into the Royals hall of fame. Um, the, what do you think about that? And, and how do you think Quattrero compares to him? Uh, you know, uh, should we, I mean, Ned Yost had a couple of bad years early on too, right? Um, so do you think that he can, he can turn it around and become as beloved as Yost or did Yost have something that Quotrero doesn't have or, or what?
2: Well, I would say Ned Yost much more than Matt Quotrero was so old school. I mean, the way he did things was as old school as it got. And if you question his old school ways, he was going to be pretty agitated. He was going to fire back. He was kind of abrasive with that. Um, Mike Matheny was the median. Like he came from St. Louis, where he was a bit of that, you know, hard ass. Uh, pardon my French there. But then he came <laughs> to Kansas City, and it was I'm gonna I'm gonna be this guy that's super nice in the media, and I, I took an analytics course. But it just it never really felt like it was authentic. And then Matt Cuatro's the super analytical guy, but maybe it's not the most analytical team. There's not the right pieces there. So at the end of the day, just like it was with Ned Yost, he wins, he will be beloved. He loses, he's going to be hated. Wasn't there a petition started after the wild card game or during the wild card game to fire Yost because he went with Ventura <laughs> over Herrera? Like, that's yeah. how quickly it can be. That was the Royals' first postseason appearance in 29 years. Some fans would go, it's enough for me. But some fans were going, no, he's the reason we're going to lose. Fire him. That's what manager's relationship is with the fan base. You win games you will be cherished and think about this so let's say in this world next year it's not going to happen let's just play a hypothetical the Royals make the postseason if the Royals lost in the wild card series you know what would be said <laughs> let's get rid of Matt Quattrero because he's the reason we <laughs> lost we made a move here or there it's just it's recency you lose a lot of games you're not going to be loved you win a lot of games you are going to be loved Ned Yost had his own you know phrase on Twitter Yosted when he'd make the wrong bullpen move like that's how the fan base reacts. I love Ned Yost. I loved who he was as a person. He was a very fiery, passionate manager that backed his guys, which is why he's going to have so many players back there for his Hall of Fame, and uh, in, inducting to the Royals Hall of Fame. But for Matt Kutcher to get there, I think it's pretty simple. He's got to win. I think the, the players already like him, but what's going to get him in that same you know, category as Yost, probably he's got to win a World Series championship because Yost is always going to have that over him. But it's just winning it's as simple as that you win a lot of games people are going to respect you
1: how much there's always this this huge debate between the analytical crowd right and the the feels crowd or uh the old school crowd even um about like how much a manager can really impact a team i've seen a lot of people complaining that matt quattrero is ruining this team somehow? That the losses are, are his fault. You know, he picks bad guys to come in out of the bullpen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what, what, what are? Do you think he's been managing poorly? And do you think, do you think managers make a large impact on the team or not much of one?
2: I think there is a little bit of an impact, but I also think it's for some fans. You compare it like an NFL head coach. Like here in Kansas City, what Andy Reid calls is very important for the game. Who Macquitero goes to in the eighth inning of a one run game, it's that's a big boy at that point. You gotta go get outs. He, he can't throw strikes for you. He can't, you know, limit the hard contact for you. Uh, to me, though, at times, I think he's tried to be almost too analytical with a lineup that's not. Uh, I think one of the the most frustrating points of the season for me, at least with Macquitero, he's I think he's blown some games for the Royals, but which man manager which manager has had a perfect season of making the right moves <laughs> time and time again. It's the age-old saying of when the manager makes the right move, he's a genius. He makes the wrong move, he's an idiot. It's just it all depends on the player to me. But in that series in Seattle, the Friday night game and pinch hitting Matt Duffy for Michael Massey, uh, to quote Moneyball, like I don't care about lefty lefty matchups. Like it just, I'm not throwing Matt Duffy in there to get you a go ahead hit. And that to me was him thinking this would be done in Tampa, right? I'm I'm gonna get this matchup. I'm not gonna put Michael Massey in the spot. But when you're 50 games under 500. I would like a little bit of the Ned Yost idea of he's got to be put in those spots because eventually when he's growing, he's got to know how to hit in those spots. Whether he's a right-hander or a left-handed pitcher, you got to roll with him. Did it help the 2011-12 Royals when Alcides Escobar was out there for every big time moment? Hell no. But in 14 and 15, it was because he knew how to get comfortable in those moments. That's what I would like to see more so in September of, hey, it might be, oh, let's say a Samad Taylor in this spot. Let's say Samad Taylor's hitting in the eighth inning, bases loaded two outs, and you could go to Matt Beatty off the bench. But Matt Beatty's not going to be here next year. I just want to see if Samad Taylor could come through in that moment. And if he does, pays off for you. If Matt Beatty comes through, yeah, we all feel good about win number 43 on the season. But is that doing anything <laughs> for you going into 2024? I think not.
0: No, not not a thing. Not a thing. And you're, you're very right, Jack. Uh, pressure does make diamonds. And we uh, and that's something that it's a long term investment. We have to put these players in these very high leverage situations and just see how they uh, how they succeed. And you know what? We've seen some players fold underneath underneath the pressure this season. Um, Dylan Coleman is one who who comes to my mind, unfortunately, and we're seeing guys get a little bit more and more pressure and they're still performing like John McMillan is another one who uh, who comes to my mind. Well, guys, we are going to take a quick ad break coming up on the other side. We are going to be talking about Matt Cotrero a little bit more, but we are going to do some hot seat checks. Plus, we we got to talk about what the heck the Angels are doing. Stay tuned, y'all. And we're back here on the Royals Rundown podcast. Jake Milliam here with Jeremy Greco and Jack Johnson of the Locked On Royals podcast. So, guys, well, not even guys. Jack, I'm I'm going to be 100 percent about Jeremy and myself. We we really suck at organized segments. Okay, are um, we talking about? Well, it, we're exactly. very good at them.
1: No, no, never derail anything.
0: Never, never at all. But like on on Sunday, even we were talking about Alec Marsh and his fit in the rotation, yada yada, yada. and then we ended up talking about Shohei Otani and and Frank White to start off the segment, okay? We weren't, like, that deep into it. Mm-hmm. We we get off the rails quickly. It's just who we are. But we're going to try to turn over a new leaf here real fast. It probably won't last, but, hey, well, we'll at least give it a shot. Okay, we got to get ready for the offseason. So, in that vein, the offseason is really, really close. It feels like it, at least. As such, this was the time last year where the Royals themselves started to see some changes in the front office and we're starting to see that, you know, even in the division, the Chicago White Sox are making a lot of a lot of changes and teams around the league are getting that jump on. Hey, who do we want leading this team in 2024? So going back to leadership, there are three leadership people, three leaders, I guess. I, I think that's the word for leadership people is, uh, is leaders. <laughs> I wanted to get some temperature checks. I wanted to see how hot their, uh, their seat was in your mind from, on a scale of one to 10. So guys, we already talked about Matt Cotrero, a a good bit, um, but I would like to ask you both, Jeremy, if you don't mind starting us off, how hot do you think his seat is? Because I will say the, the record doesn't lie. He's got, he's got one of the worst starts, in among all Royals managers, the win loss percentage isn't doing him any favors. So, Jeremy, on a scale of one to ten, how hot is Matt Quatrero's seat heading into the off season?
1: Is ten hot or is or is one hot? Which one's ten hot? is hot? Ten is ten hot. is hot. All right. So, I hope that Matt is wearing some like some wooly pants because it's like a negative seven on there. Uh, he, he is sitting on an ice block right now. He's not going anywhere. The Royals knew, they said this is an evaluation season. There's absolutely no call to be firing him, uh, when it has in fact been an evaluation season. Uh, the only way I could possibly see him leaving is if he just gets really tired of all the nonsense and quits um i do not see the team firing him and i don't really see him quitting either because kind of if you uh if you quit a managerial job like that you don't get another one i don't think so uh i think we're gonna i think it's pretty safe to say we're gonna see
0: that quattrero next season what uh what, what are your thoughts man scale of one to ten how hot is
2: his seat Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Jeremy here because my thoughts have always been this. If you fire Matt Quattrero year one, well, then fire J.J. Bacolo and sell the team because that showed that there was never a plan in place. If you fire somebody one year in, you promote guy one year, might as well just clean house at that point because that just shows you wasted an entire year. Like I said earlier, though, in the show, it doesn't mean that if Matt Quattrero sticks around, he's going to be good. There is a chance that Matt Quattrero never is a good manager. But you can't know after one season, and especially not with the roster that was assembled. Hunter Dozier was playing third base on opening day, I believe it was. No, Matt Duffy's on this roster. Brad Keller was in the rotation. A 39-year-old Zach Grinke was your opening day starter. Like, they basically said, we're going to suck without outwardly saying, we're going to suck. And I honestly would have respected it if they would have said that. Just said, we're going to be pretty bad this year, but give us some time. It's kind of like when you go to the gym for the first time and you start doing the workouts correctly. And then by like Tuesday, you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not, I don't have a six pack. Like that's what I feel like a lot of Royals fans are treating this. Like, like there's just all these steps you can skip, or you can have an entire figure by the end of the week. It's not the case, you know, I think with the Royals sense, they're the really overweight guy who's never worked out. You know, he's the guy that needs a lot of help and, and it's not to say it's an easy process or it's going to be a, that long of a process. But if you're in that spot, you just have to understand it takes time. And and just starting over all the time and blowing it up, that's not an easy fix. Okay, Yes, the Orioles blew things up and hired Mike Elias, but it's a different scenario. It's a different organization. And if you took this route, you at least owe it to that plan for two years at minimum. If the Royals lose 115 next year, then maybe you can reconsider this. But right now, I'd be pretty shocked if anybody on this staff, anybody in the front office lost their job.
0: Yeah, I, I very much agree with that, Jack. I would, I'll, I'll raise my temperature up a little bit more than, than Jeremy though. I'll, I'll put it at, at about a two. And I'm, I might be, I might be misplacing that temperature because I do want to say this heading into 2024 Quatrero in, in my mind is he is going to have a blank slate, but he's also going to have a little bit higher of expectations be, but that is assuming that the Royals take steps this off season to increase the amount of talent on the roster. Addressing things like not having a hundred Dozier or having one or two more legitimate starting pitchers in this rotation would would go a, a long way. But that is going to come with expectations of hey, we're not we're not competing, battling against the worst record in team history. We are going to try and stay relevant in this al central something that they haven't done in a long time hey yeah jack you brought up um other members of the staff not not of the front office i'm gonna i'm gonna stick on the staff here real quick because i am i'm not sure where this is coming from truth be told but alex zumwalt has been getting a lot of flack from royals fans and i do i do understand the frustrations with the lineup and its potency at times. Um, it it hasn't been up to par. It has been one of the worst in Major League Baseball across the entire season. They have had good stretches. Don't get me wrong, but all in all, it has been a very poor offensive output from these Royals. Jack, I wanted I want to get your opinion though. Do you think there is
2: any any heat on Alex Zumwalt's seat? I think if there's any coach on the staff, his would be the hottest because he's been there the longest, but still not a long time. When he took over midseason, you can't expect a lot of change midseason. I think I expected this group to be a little bit better. Uh, I think the most discouraging thing from it all is that they're dead last in walks, I believe second to last in OBP. That has been a Royals problem for 50 years, it feels like. They just don't get on base. They don't value it. Dayton Moore always valued. You put the ball in play, use your legs, and you try to leg it out. Well, you can see now in baseball, if you walk a lot, you put yourself in better chance to drive in runs. The Royals haven't done that well this year. Now, if Vinny Pasquantino was in this lineup, it probably would give guys some more protection. He was the guy who I still believe has the best played approach of anybody on the team. You know, Bobby Wood Jr. has gotten better. But then you also have guys, as much as I love him, like Michael Garcia, he's a free swinger leading off the game. Like He likes to... To hack at it, the first pitches walk rates fine. It's better than somebody like Alcides Escobar, but you also have you know Salvador Perez. As long as Salvi's in that lineup, they're not going to be very high in OBP because Salvi's never going to walk. Uh, you look at somebody like a a Michael Massey. I mean, his walk rates not very high. Kyle Isbell not very high. Drew Water strikes out too much. Uh, Freddie, Fermin does not like to walk that much. So over, I guess the the whole gist of it, I would say that you know Alex Zumwalt. Could be in a little bit of trouble, but I also don't think you need to overreact to a year and a half. And I'm also under the impression that, you know, what can a hitting coach do? I think pitching coaches can change a lot. Hitting coaches, I think, can, but a lot of it is offseason work and how you can change these players. I would love to see Drew Saylor at some point get get a spot on the big league roster, maybe alongside Alex Zumwalt. But at the end of the day, I don't think the concern is that high for him losing his job. I would like to see some better hitters in this lineup, not just worrying about evaluating and developing nine guys in a lineup. Like you need some consistency. You need guys that come into Kansas City and go, we know what they're going to give us. A 330, 340 OBP, we'll put them in the middle of our lineup. That helps us. It's not just trusting a guy who's in a major league dugout for the first time ever, I believe, or as a coach, I believe, in that type of spot as a hitting coach because he was a player. But you go to him and say, hey, I need you to – develop nine guys in a lineup or eight of nine guys that's tough to do it it's tough to you know expect results so quickly
1: yeah i one thing that i keep coming back to and i know people are tired of hearing about this but early on in the season the royals were just super unlucky um with the hard hit balls and still making outs i it, to a certain degree they're still unlucky i was looking at um uh, Michael Massey's numbers, for example, he is still way below his, his expected uh, weighted on base average, the X Woba. Um, I just, I think that the people are overreacting to a bad offense that has improved since the all-star break, by the way. Um, and, and people just don't want to hear that bad luck happens. Sometimes bad luck can happen for an entire season sometimes. Um, and, 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 They just need to give people a little bit more time. Another thing is that a lot of these guys are in their second year. I feel like the sophomore slump in baseball is a real thing um, that people don't want to give credit to. Like it doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to a lot of guys. Um, And so the question for me is, you know, can they make that adjustment? Because really what the sophomore slump is, is, okay. you got to make your first adjustment. Can you do it? And and I think we're seeing some of these guys making some adjustments. Obviously, Bobby Witt Jr. started off very poorly uh, at the for the beginning of the year, and he really has come around in the second half. MJ Melendez kind of doing the same thing, um, and so I, even even Michael Massey has has improved. Uh, actually, Michael Garcia's uh, WRC Plus. I was reading a an article, a newsletter from uh, Craig Brown, the the Into the Fountains, and he pointed out Michael Garcia's. Uh, WRC plus has actually gone down in the second half. So that's a little bit disappointing, but for the most part, guys have been getting better as the season goes along. And that is what you want from your hitting coach is for guys to get better. And they seem to be, they were really unlucky earlier this year. They're getting better. If they're now, I do think that if they, struggle at the beginning of next year he could be in serious danger because at that point you go okay why aren't these guys ready for this season now we did the sophomore slump thing we figured out how to make adjustments we need to make this happen faster you got to make it work
0: yeah those are those are great thoughts jeremy and i i first off always always plug craig brown on the on the podcast love love his work over there at the Substack. if you're not checking it out you are you're missing out in my opinion Listen, I I still really don't I don't know why I don't put a whole lot of stock into Zumwalt as the MLB hitting coach. I still think of him as more of a developmental guy, and I I probably just need to be a fly on the wall somewhere. I need to see him, you know, process, see what he does on, on a day to day. I'm just being transparent with you there. I do think that his seat is colder. Than Matt Trero's heading into 2024, because I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at the developments of some of these minor league hitters, and we're seeing some of these prospects rejuvenate themselves at the plate. Um, guys that get easily overlooked, like Tyler Tolbert, he has gone from a double A speedster to like, hey, this guy in the same vein as Dairo Blanco. Could have a legitimate impact on the major league club next year, and that is because of some of the adjustments that have been made this year alone. Now, do I know if they all come with, come from Zumal? No, but and we've all we've all seen this in in the workplace. We've seen it in sports. If people below you are doing something right, you, you get a little bit of praise for it. If people below you are doing something wrong, that's when you start getting the flack. But someone's probably doing something right there in Northwest Arkansas. But it, uh, it still boosts Zoomwalt's case in my mind. There's, I know we all want to focus on Gavin Cross. I understand. He's the former top prospect. And that has, this has been a disappointing season for him. But all in all, this, these minor league batters look better this year. Throughout the system. We've, we've talked about the pitching. The batters aren't looking too bad in, in my opinion, either guys, am I, Jeremy, you always call me out if I'm, if I'm crazy. Am I, uh, am I looking into this too much?
1: I'm not sure how much impact the major league hitting coach has on the minor league hitting coaches. I feel like there's a hitting coordinator position that's responsible for kind of supervising all of that. But I know that, that Zumwalt was the, a lot of people were kind of surprised that he was given the the major league uh, bench role because they expected him to kind of be promoted in a different direction so I don't know if maybe his responsibilities are different and I'm just not aware of that or or necessarily what's happening there
0: so I will I will say this his title is still well let me hold on let me double check that I'm pulling up the right one because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of Jack here (laughs) <laughs> although i already have probably
1: you have no problem it's... embarrassing me in front of jack I no
0: no not not at all i i hope you know that oh my goodness because he was still what i was looking at truth be told he was still listed as the director of hitting performance and player uh-huh. development um i'm i'm being totally upfront with you there looking at the coaches yada 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 and so his title is still senior director of hitting performance and okay. major league hitting coach.
1: All right. So I, I maybe he's, that seems like an awful lot to ask of the guy. I know, right, I, I do. I did kind of wonder if, um, I don't think he's going to get fired anytime soon, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Royals moved him in the organization and put somebody else in that, in, in the bench on the bench to, to, you know, be the major league coach. Um, just because I, everything I've heard is that the Royals really value his mind. And so they want him in the organization. And like I said, people were really kind of surprised that he wasn't promoted in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I guess it probably depends a little bit on what he wants to do. Maybe he really wanted to be um, you know, on the major league bench coaching those guys directly. I, I don't know. But um, I really would be surprised if he was gone uh, from the organization entirely anytime soon oh yeah i i certainly
0: agree with that jack if you if you had to make the call would you which way would you move Zoomwalt? would you move him into more of a overseer
2: into the front office staff or would you keep him on the bench you, you know I think at the end of the day and it probably depends on where this team is at if this team is is not really close to contending, you probably could you know move in a scenario where he gets a front office job because I think his mind is really bright and i think what he would have to bring the front office is a look of, Hey, I know what to look for in a hitter. I know what's valuable in a hitter. I know which guys are coachable. I know which guys can improve at the plate. And maybe as a hitting coach, that's not always as easy. Like, I think the funny thing is that we always expect, you know, major leaguers to listen to their hitting coach. There could be a veteran that goes, what are you talking? I know how to hit the ball. I don't need to, to hear from you. Who's been here for a year and a half. Like, These are all grown men, too. It's the same thing with a pitching coach. There's a chance, and this is probably more true than not, that Jordan Lyles is listening to what Brian Sweeney has to say. I mean, he could go, hey, I've pitched in Baltimore before. I've pitched in Texas. I've pitched in Colorado. I've worked with guys that have more experience than you. I know what to do. Now, I'm just guessing here. I'm more so just throwing shade (laughs) at Jordan Lyles. But there's a chance that veterans go, I have my own guy. I've got my own ways. I appreciate you trying to coach me, but I'm not going to change my ways. There's also young guys that'll do that that have always thrived, and they get to the big leagues and go, "No, I know how to. I know how to improve my approach. I know what I'm doing right. I know what I'm doing wrong. It all comes down to how coachable the player is, and maybe how involved the hitting coach is. Like I think Pedro Grifol was a guy that everybody connected with, and I think that. You know, somebody like Kevin Seitzer, I still think it's a crime the Royals let him go. But, you know, he's somebody yeah. in Atlanta that can connect with the players and they all respect that. I don't know if the players do respect Zoom. One, I don't know the people personally. I don't know the players, the coach personally. But I would say that what he's doing right now is a much better approach than somebody like Terry Bradshaw ever did.
0: Yeah, yeah, I certainly agree with that, Jack. All right, guys, we, we got one more. And I don't think listeners are going to be shocked at all for who we got to talk about. JJ Piccolo, guys is his uh is his seat hot at all Jeremy I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts first
1: um his seat is not in the negative like uh like I said that, that uh, Quattreros was but I would still be really surprised to see him get fired um you don't basically last season when they fired Dayton Moore that was John Sherman giving him a vote of confidence saying no really Piccolo's our guy more was getting in his way. He's going to figure this out. Um, I, I just, I think like Jack was kind of saying earlier, if you don't give him at least two years, then you've admitted that you were very clueless about what you were doing and you've wasted everyone's time. Trust the process. Like in Philly,
0: Jack, oh, what, what, do you, what do you think about Piccolo?
2: You know, I, I think I was on the side of you got to let him go at like, 4 p.m. on the trade deadline because nothing had happened. I'm just thinking, how <laughs> could he get away with this again? I was, I jumped the gun, and I knew I shouldn't have jumped the gun, but I did anyway. Uh, now I think it's more so on the backs of this draft class, maybe a little bit of last year's too. Those two draft classes are very much going to dictate how much longer J.J. McCullough has his job. I'm not overly concerned with Blake Mitchell. I'm a little bit concerned about Gavin Cross because he's supposed to be a fast riser by being college hitter. Blake Mitchell, I think can turn things around, but also you look at guys like Matt Shaw, you look at, you know, guys like Kyle Teal, like it feels like everybody that like tweets out who the Royals should draft does well. And then whoever the Royals take, like just doesn't ever perform well. So for him, he desperately needs that. Like the Cole Reagan's thing might've saved him a year, because that shows that he can find guys, evaluate guys, and know what to look for. And get a lottery ticket throwing guy in there. But there's also been a lot of bad. Like, I, we still can't explain why the Nicky Lopez deal was made. And if it was just to trade, just to trade somebody, then why didn't you do that with Matt Duffy? You know, why didn't you do that with with Jordan Lyles? if there was an offer? You can't tell me that the only offer there was you jumped at because Nicky Lopez still was under club control. He was cheap, and he was much better than Matt Duffy. Like, that just made no sense to me. So, for me, at least right now, he's got another year. I can't say two just yet because I think there has to be big-time improvement in this next year, especially with the farm system. If it's bottom five again and these guys start struggling in high A, double A, then I would say by the end of 2024, his job will seriously be in jeopardy.
0: I I don't disagree with any of that, guys, because – in in my mind, his his job isn't in jeopardy till about twenty twenty-five, no matter no matter the outcome of twenty twenty four, unfortunately. But that is assuming that there are some obvious attempts and some obvious steps forward this offseason. You know, if they if they go out and they have another offseason similar to what they did in 2023. Yeah, that's that's going to be pretty, pretty dang disappointing. And I'm going to question what is his ultimate plan for the ball club that he is leading? Um, I I put his seat temperature to one, maybe. And guys, I don't know if I don't know if that's a good or, or a bad thing that all of these folks's seats are fairly cold, fairly, fairly chill. There's not got to think this, this team has a second worst record in all of baseball. They have, I'm not saying they have like no prospects for 2024, but we're not expecting a huge turnaround in, in one year. This isn't an outlier year. They were kind of expecting to be on the fringe of a hundred losses and they've just done worse. Um, Jeremy, I want, I, I want to get your thoughts on it because it, is that a good or a bad thing that all their seats are
1: cold? Do you think? I, I've, I think it's just a thing, a thing, Um, probably a good thing. Uh, Really, the state of the current farm system, the state of the major league roster is an indictment on the previous regime um, that let it get that bad. And baseball moves slow. It takes a while um, to turn things around. Now, should it take 10 years or however long it took, date more to turn things around? No, it shouldn't take that long, but it's going to take. Two or three years. This is not a situation like the NFL or the NBA where you could come in, make a couple free agent splashes, um, you know, hire an up and coming coach, and and just you know run away with things. Um, and also, you know, you have to remember that in the NFL, I'm actually not sure about the NBA, uh, but they have that strength of schedule stuff. It's like, oh yeah, you were real bad last year. Now you get to play the other real bad teams. If you improved, you're going to look real good until you get to the postseason. Um, so I, I think K- Kansas City fans can can look across the street and be like, "Oh, hey, you know, it worked. They turned things around real fast." But eh, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way in the MLB. So you, I think it's good to to not fire these guys yet because you want to give them time to do something. Uh, just I know them talking about the NFL too much now suddenly, but uh, looking at San Francisco, the, what the 49ers did when they drafted. Um, alex smith and they changed offensive coordinators every year for so long it's when you don't have a consistent plan it's hard for any even the people you have who do have talent to progress and to grow and to and to become some become useful uh players and and so a a little bit of consistency can really help out you don't want to just you know do poll what they did with Dayton Moore, where you're like well now we're just going to be super consistent so everything's going to be great right and you still got to do some evaluation but you got to give guys a chance
0: okay okay
2: jack what are your thoughts on that you know i i do agree as well um with jeremy because this is just the circumstance right now i mean i can't really blame the current coaching staff for the blunders that happened in the first five years of this rebuild i mean i kind of look at it and say. Everything that happened from 18 to 2022 was wrong. It was not the way to go about it. And they failed at every single aspect, drafting, free agent signings, holding on to guys and not trading them at the right time. Like they butchered everything. And I'm not so sure that just because this team inherited a terrible spot that we're going to, I guess, overreact to one year and say, well, now we need to change things again. I think a lot of these struggles are for the problems of the last five years, not for the problems of one year. All, Dayton Moore era, it did get them a World Series championship, but a lot of his influence and the influence of Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred and the scouting department, it ruined a lot of things for 2023. And now you're hoping this is the start where you can lay a foundation. I would say right now you've laid somewhat of a foundation by knowing Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar, And you can build around that a little more. In the last couple years, name me the best player on those teams. It was Whit Merrifield, who was not (laughs) primed to be a superstar. He was over 30 years old. Like, now you have somebody you could legitimately build around, and that in the midst of a 50-plus or 50-plus games under 500 and 110-plus last season, if anything, I can at least take that away.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, hey, guys, we're going to take one more ad break. We got to be talking about a team out there who is absolutely tearing down their house down to the foundation. Stay tuned. And we're back here on the Royals Rundown podcast before we get back into it. Please go follow the podcast on Twitter at Royal Rundown Pod so you can never miss an episode or any Royals news. Also, make sure you follow our guest Jack Johnson on Twitter at Johnny J underscore one five for some great Royals chatter. But on with the Royals. Well, as as I say that, we're not going to be talking about the Royals anymore. we got to be talking about the Angels, guys, because this uh, they dropped a, a bomb on the MLB. This is like this is like the guy who is a sore loser in fantasy football. And he knows he's not going to make the postseason anymore. So he drops everyone except for his first round. This is pick. The first
1: thing I thought of when really? I saw that too, it was that's, like, there are rules like. against this in fantasy sports,
0: <laughs> but here we are in reality and they're doing it. So unless you missed, or if you missed it, excuse me, the Los Angeles angels, they placed a bunch of good players on waivers. Lucas Giolito. Uh, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, Hunter Renfro and Randall Gritchick, who I know they're not all superstars, but they're like they are contributing players at the very least at the MLB level. And they they put them on waivers. This isn't them trying to get some compensation, trying to get one of those waiver waiver trades that you could do ahead of covid. Those are gone. All they're trying to do is get salary relief from these players for the remainder of the season. Now I understand there's some, there are not just fans, but respected baseball minds out there calling out like, Hey, this is, this is one of those things that should be addressed by the commissioner because is this really good for baseball? Eh, Not really, but I do. I, I wanted, I want to drop this, this on you, Jack. So, One of one of the folks that that I trust within MLB circles was saying that the Angels were thinking of a move even before Shohei Otani's injury. The day the day before his injury, which would have been the uh, the 23rd is when this message was from saying, hey, they're thinking they're thinking about doing something that will be the most notable move in the next week. And he confirmed that this was the move that they were thinking about. they were thinking about it a week ago. It is, um, I don't, I don't understand. I understand the purpose, but I don't understand why you would do it. Like, I don't understand the optics of it. Um, Jack, I, I want to know your thoughts on the Angels move specifically.
2: Well, first things first, I just, I, I can never explain the Los Angeles Angels. I mean, they they've had two <laughs> of the best players in baseball, and, and they still can't make the postseason. Like you would think, every offseason, they just know they have to get a little better in some aspects. And they they do this every single year. They look really good early on, and they never have the depth. They always get banged up. And even this year, where Shohei Otani is just looking like an alien. It's just it's impossible to replicate what he's doing. Nobody in baseball has ever done anything like this, and yet here we are. And I know Mike Trout was hurt. He's been on the injured list for the majority of the season. But this is one of those moves that you go, okay, if this was even a thought, an idea, you were going to do this, why did you not trade Shohei Ohtani and blow everything up then? Because now this is worthless. Now you have just told Shohei Ohtani, we're completely bailing on this season. And now you're not going to come back to it. We just know you're not. Because this has been his life in baseball his entire career. This team has done the same exact thing. And now this is kind of like this, well, we'll just admit everything was wrong. This is, I would say, a fireable offense. Because it's just kind of saying, well, we did everything wrong. And this is the last thing we're going to do. We're not going to get anything in return for these guys. They're just going to be waiver wire pickups for postseason teams, which we never are. And I'm sure it's going to tell Shohei Otani's agent and Shohei himself, we're not committed to winning. And we are not committed to to keeping you happy and pleasing you. Not the Angels were going to have a late season surge. But, I mean, dang. I mean, th- this is the craziest move I've seen. They acquired all these guys, what, a month ago? And now they're all just on waivers. It just said, okay, we're done with it. We're not going to compete. Let's just get rid of everybody. Th- this is going to be a really, really bad organization. They already kind of are. But a really bad organization talent-wise, probably by next year, I would say. The
1: thing that really interests me is uh, is is the people out there that are saying that uh, the commissioner Rob Manfred needs to step in and and do something about this with the the good of the baseball clause or or whatever it was. And uh, so I went looking at uh, kind of the performance of these guys, and I think you can tell that this is a salary dump because you know it's five guys. You don't cut five guys at the same time just doesn't happen um and then you also look at the relievers Matt Moore and Ronaldo Lopez are both having very good years and they've been very good uh recently now if they had just cut Giolito Renfro and Grichuk I think there would be a lot more so if just Giolito Renfro and Grichuk were released I think you would you would see a lot of more doubt about whether this was just a salary dump even though cutting three guys at once is a lot because they weren't they were genuinely playing poorly uh for the angels um and so i'm kind of curious why they decided to go ahead and just make it obvious by cutting the relievers on the other hand this kind of reminds me of the whole uh you know the the on-field review stuff where you got to have clear and convincing evidence to overturn the call and i think that Manfred Manfred, especially, but a lot of commissioners that MLB has had over the years are just going to look at this and go, uh, well, you know, um, they were not playing good. So it's probably, we don't have enough evidence, so we can't really do anything about it. Um, so I, I don't expect the angels to be punished in any way now should, like you said, maybe people's heads should roll within the organization. Um, but I, it's just, this is really disappointing. Um, as Jacob said, it, it reminds of the fantasy uh fan who, who gets mad that they realize they're not even gonna have a chance and they just cut all their good players to really just throw a wrench into everything. Um, it's it's really disappointing, it's really upsetting for baseball. I hope it's not indicative of the future that we can expect, where teams yeah. are going to start regularly doing this, but uh I I also don't think that anyone's going to be punished for it uh, other than you know maybe maybe somebody gets fired in los angeles but just for general incompetency not specifically for
0: this (laughs) i like it i like it well before before i get y'all's opinions on the the players who were placed on waivers i would be remiss if i didn't point out it wasn't just the angels who who did this there were a few other notable players around major league baseball who Got placed on waivers today. Um, Carlos Carrasco of the New York Mets, Mike Clevenger of the Chicago White Sox, Harrison Bader of the Yankees. Like these are these are all guys with some some decent salaries that these teams are just saying like, hey, we're out of contention. We don't want to pay this guy anymore. We're, he's not in our future plans. Will someone else pay him? Now focusing on will someone else pay him? I do think it is worth asking the question. Will the Royals take any chances on on these players because they are second in in the waiver wire order, second only to the Athletics and we know the Athletics ain't going to spend money. That's the, that's not how they roll. But uh, Jack, I would like your thoughts first. Do you think that the Royals, you know, I think Giolito would be the, you know, big name headline choice to go after in the waiver, but do you think that the Royals actually would do a move like that?
2: Um, I think it's unlikely the Royals would do it. It'd be fun to see, but I think Lucas Giolito is pretty smart, and now he's had a terrible time with the Angels, or did have a terrible time with the Angels. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So why would he – well, he can't choose if the, Royals, if the Royals claim him. He has to go to Kansas City. But then he would say, well, I'm not going to sign anything because I'm going to be a free agent, and I'd like to go play for a contender. Whether that be a one-year deal or a two-year deal. One that would be intriguing to me, and probably more so than Giolito – I thought Reynaldo Lopez looked really good for the Angels. And bullpen guys are a little bit different than starters and bullpen guys that have historically struggled. So if the Royals place a claim on Lopez, and I'm a guy that believes in stuff over results, he's got power stuff. You could go to him and say, okay, we're going to give you a one-year extension or a two-year deal. We like what you have, and then you stash him in that bullpen, and I think for a very affordable price. So that, to me, would feel like the most likely option because he's a reliever. Giolito, probably not. Uh doesn't make much sense to do renfer or Gritchick, Probably just wait till they hit free agency. If the market falls your way in the in the winter and you could get one of those guys for a power bat like a Renfro on a one year, you know, six, seven million dollar deal, that's something you consider. But right now, I'd say the only guy that would make sense would be Ronaldo Lopez.
1: I I could see the team taking Ronaldo or Matt Moore just because the bullpen is so shambolic right now. Uh, I don't know if I just made that word up. I feel like I've heard it before, um, but it is, it is not in a good place. Um, the, Taylor Hearn just got DFA or demoted or something. Um, they've got other guys in there that probably don't belong in there. Um, and so if you want to kind of make everybody feel better about the team as the season comes to an end, maybe kind of patch a couple holes by signing a Matt, by bringing in a Matt Moore and a Ronaldo Lopez and, uh, and, and, and let them fill in some of those holes As you still got room for, you know, McMillan to pitch for Carlos Hernandez to pitch in there. It just, it just gives you, it takes away some of the worst pitchers and, and, you know, maybe some of your leads can be held.
0: Yeah. I, i definitely agree with that. And it's, this circles back to what we were talking about to start off the show. We just want to see some, some engaging talent on the, on the field. I I know we're picking a lot on Taylor Hearn tonight, but he is kind of he's kind of the the easy target right now. Other other guys in the bullpen that I think of are you know Colin Snyder. He just made his return back to the major league club. I don't have any any interest in Colin Snyder right now. We have seen his ceiling. He's a he's a fringe 40-man guy. He's gonna be on the bubble every single spring train. And it seems like let's bring in some talent. Let's see what these other organizations are, you know, just putting out there for free, basically. So I know that's all hypothetical. We're going to, we're going to see in, you know, the coming days, if the Royals actually make any moves on those players, I will be following that very closely. If you want to follow for any rumors or any updates, please go check out Royals review on Twitter and on Facebook. Also, you can find news and updates on royalsreview.com Um, Jack Johnson, everyone. Thank you, Jack. Thank you so much for for joining us this evening. Um, I know I know we ran a little bit longer than than your normal shows, but uh, I think it was a great conversation, man.
2: Yeah, I had a blast at any time, guys. You know, it's it's fun, even in the, in the bad years and even in the bad months. Talk a little about Royals baseball. I love baseball. And and like we did tonight, we didn't always have to talk Royals baseball. We can talk some some other teams around the league. So anytime you guys want to, I'm happy to come on.
0: I appreciate that. Hey, one more time. You can follow Jack on Twitter at Johnny J underscore one five. You can also find the lockdown Royals podcast wherever you're listening to this podcast at um, always, always worth adding that to your feed. Um, definitely a good, a good bite size takes on Royals baseball. Um, Jack, before we get out of here, I really no no disrespect meant to meant to Ryland styles. He is done. He's doing great things. Um, down in Oklahoma City, but I'd greatly appreciate you coming into Locked on Royals and really uh, reinvigorating that podcast, man. Doing a great job.
2: It means a lot. I always, like I said, I love the feedback, and I, I always say, too, with my podcast, like it, it doesn't really happen unless I get engagement or I have people commenting or asking questions, because if it's just me talking into a, an empty know abyss it's it's pretty pointless. <laughs> so uh, i always love people commenting and critiquing it and just giving good feedback because that's what i think it's all about agreed agreed man yeah
0: jeremy um i think he has like a scheduled three hour block every day for yelling into the void so he, he's got that quota filled for both of us jack
1: i i schedule four hours
0: but i you know it's just <laughs> in case there's a little overflow oh gotcha gotcha yeah it can uh, it, it can happen easily especially during the work week All right, guys, let's go ahead and get on out of here. For everyone out there listening, thank you so much for your support. Um, Please go check out the Q&A and the polls on Spotify is where you can find those out. We love, just like Jack, we love hearing from you all, and we love hearing the engagement. But until next time, go Royals!